Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. But the point is, is this is at least should be a benchmark for you. Is it overstated? Is it understated? I don't know. I mean, all I know is this, is that they've done studies on this. They're presenting this data to hundreds of marketers who are, have the, the meter on very high uh, when they're at these conferences. So take it for what it's worth. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Welcome back to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Ralph Burns, who's telling us all about his trip into the metaverse. But the real metaverse, what do we call that? The tangible-verse. The tangible-verse. The tangible. Yeah, the tangible metaverse at Meta in Palo Alto. At Meta, yeah. So Ralph went to the Meta office. He got the skinny on a lot of really interesting uh comeuppances, <laughs> um, things that we get to look forward to. And and the thing that I thought was most interesting was the Performance 5. Ralph, do you mind telling us a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, the Performance 5 is uh, was sort of a touchstone for the entire conference, and everyone sort of kept coming back to it. And like we said before, before the break, is the more things that you can do that are in alignment with Meta, not only do you seem to get preferential treatment to a certain degree, but you will also, if you at least test 
and use these strategies, you, performance will follow. What we have found is like sometimes they'll come out with something like, oh, just use open targeting and, you know, just let uh, dynamic creative figure out where your audience is. At first, it didn't really go all that well. But now we've come back to that. <laughs> we always sort of go back and and revisit an earlier strategy that maybe we tried and didn't really work as well as we had thought. So this may not be something that you use all five right now, but I would highly encourage you and not being a meta shill here, I'm just an agency owner, right? But, uh, you know, the idea here is to acquire new customers through direct response advertising. And, and we have found all five of these, which we have done and we have implemented to various degrees in our in internal customer accounts. They do lead to performance. So let's just get into them one by one here. So the first thing is, is account simplification. and uh, learning phase is something that everyone's sort of, uh, whenever we look into an, an ad account, I know you do this when you do Google ad account audits. It's like one of the first things we always see is like so many of their ads, so many of their, uh, are in the learning phase, which basically means that they're still trying to gather enough data. Your ads, your ad sets are still trying to gather enough data in order to know where to target and what to do and how to search out brand new potential customers or brand new potential leads. And the guidance here is that no more than 20% of your budget for your entire campaigns should be in the learning phase. Learning phase is something that has to happen, especially within the first week or two. And the root cause of that in most cases is account complication which relates back to account simplification. So one of the case studies which I presented for AdWorld Custom, uh, which we'll actually do here on, on uh, perpetual traffic in the not too distant future, we took a complex ad account that had 50 some odd campaigns and simplified it down to two, <laughs> literally 50 to two. And that's when their CPA was halved upwards of 52%. And this is for you know registrations for a specific type of uh, app, specific type of software. And account simplification was the thing that really did it. And it's counterintuitive because you think you want to have more control as a Facebook advertiser or as a meta advertiser, when in fact, it, it just leads to destabilization of the ad account. And usually if you have too much of your advertising in the learning phase, it means higher costs for you. And we have absolutely seen that. So if you've got tons of ad sets that you know have tiny little budgets and your CPA is high, consolidate those suckers down. Figure out which ones are the ones that are like kind and create smaller, smaller ad set groupings inside your campaigns as much as you possibly can. And then expand those budgets as opposed to spreading them out over so many ad sets. And I, I know this is something we've talked about plenty of times here before, but we still see it on almost every single ad account that we do an audit on, Custom. It is, it is a universal truth, too much in the learning phase. And as a result of that, it just really affects performance in a negative way. So not like a huge breakthrough here, but going back to the basics and just remembering, okay, if you're getting too complex in your ad account and you're not getting the results, that you want, you might be uh, complexifying your Facebook ad account too much. And I would, I I would encourage you to simplify it. 
it's not necessarily a huge breakthrough, but I think it might be maybe the most important fundamental rule of the new age of traffic because it's true for all AI driven marketing because it's AI. You like the AI will complexify. Don't you worry. You know what I mean? Like we actually need to simplify it and and not for the, the computer's sake as much as for our sake. And so I think this is true for Google and Facebook, both. If I were creating like a PhD level course, this would be the 101 and it would be a thread that I weave throughout the entire you know, however long it would take me to teach somebody to, to run traffic, which is you, you have to maintain simplicity. So I think if you're a director of marketing, a CMO, a CEO, a business owner, and you're listening to this, this is a full stop moment. Not to get too dramatic, but I really mean this. Like if you're not running your own ads, go check with the, especially if the person running your ads is old school. And I'm not trying to lob grenades. But it's, it's your old school, tenured, grizzled media buyers that just think they need to segment everything and have a million ad groups and asset groups. And, you know, these are, these are people from the Skaggs era. And they're, they're killing you. They're bleeding you dry. So this is a full stop moment to go make sure that this paradigm lives within your organization. And if it doesn't, send them this episode. And then they can, they can hate listen to this all they want. And they can, you know, scream obscenities at Ralph and I, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I've seen it. Like Ralph is saying, it's in every account we audit and it's a catastrophic error. Yeah, definitely. It definitely uh, is an issue. And I think it's even more so, I remember when we were talking first about Google Performance Max, we realized that for old school Google advertisers, they're going to have a real hard time with Performance Max because it is really about simplification and not breaking everything down into tiny little smaller groups. It's leveraging the AI. And yeah, Google might have more data on each individual user than Facebook does, but Facebook still has a lot. And I think this also goes for TikTok. When you look at like, let the leverage the AI as much as you possibly can, you know, you're not smarter than the machine, which maybe is the headline for this particular uh, tip here. And that as soon as you figure out what works, give it enough budget and enough leeway so that the AI can go out and find those new customers, those those new leads for you by simplifying the account, not limiting on budget. And if you're more than 20% in the learning phase, then that means your, your ad account is way too complex. Mm. Well, and there's so many ad accounts that never leave learning. Correct. And it's because they keep tinkering and resetting before you know it has uh, any opportunity for liftoff. Yeah. So the second thing, uh, which was, oh my God, this was a huge takeaway, which I think for us, uh, I, we sort of knew it and we're using it anyway. And the funny thing is, is when, whenever we go into a case study, we sort of figure out, all right, well, what kind of ad is working really well right now? Well, it's usually a face-to-camera lo-fi, which means not high definition, just something shot on an iPhone type of ad. And whether it's the spokesperson for the company or whether it's a creator or it's a paid spokesperson or it's an actual testimonial, like I just did three case studies, Kasim, and every single one uh, the, right before this meta conference, every single one of the ads were these types of ads, which had a creator, had a face to camera, had a sort of not very high production value. Once again, is this something that we know that we've heard? Does UGC work? Absolutely, it does. And I think taking it to the next level 
is that creators for DR, if you don't have or have not used a creator for your brand and you're just trying image ads or you've never tried video with any sort of demonstration or some kind of proof or any sort of testimonial or or just some kind of referral of somebody saying something nice about your product instead of it being you saying something nice about your product. Like this is what it's all about. And this was a theme over and over and over again uh, in the conference, which is the importance of creators. And they had a couple of examples here, some pretty good case studies of how this has actually worked. And they actually recommend 50% of your ads be ads with creators in them. This is short form in most case video. Like I was like 50% really, but it backs it up. Cause I'm like, when I go into an ad account, I do an audit of like what our team has done. It's typically it's these ads or it's some kind of semblance of those ads. Like we've had Kobe on here, which has talked about, um, you know, sort of a, a, an amalgamation of a bunch of different images of people who have used a product. Maybe it's not a video, but it's, lo-fi pictures with some production that show and maybe give a testimonial, which is, you know, not them saying it, but actually something about the product with, you know, a star rating, that kind of thing. So it's user-generated content from other people. And the fact that they're recommending 50% of your creative include a creator, that's, that's a pretty big shift. I have not seen Meta talk about this so upfront and it holds true because the performance five scorecard this is the second most important part to it is how many of your ads actually have creators in them and are using this short form lo-fi video where are you going for these creators ralph is there like a a a, a, you know a network or repository like an upwork for creators yeah they gave a really good um I'm hesitant to give this one out because I kind of wanted to keep it to myself, but uh, they gave a couple examples and obviously Meta is there to promote their partners and their strategic yeah. partners, but there was a company called Popular Pays, which came up a couple of times here and it's Popular one that- Popular Pays? Yeah, we have not used them. We've used a number of different creator agencies, uh, have not tried these guys and definitely one that we might uh, we might want to check out, but- yeah. We use Billow.app. Have you heard of Billow? Yeah, we use Billow quite a bit. And I mean, it's they're pretty cheap. Yeah. And you, you get some, you know, they're, it's not like life-changing, but you get some good content out of them. Yeah. We, the question I have is, how does Facebook know if it's creator media? Is it just like the AI is built out to be able to identify that based off of, you know, little tickers that it's checking? That's my guess. Yeah. I mean, if, if Meta is going to be rolling out AI-generated video... You know they're watching yeah, all your video stuff, right? You know what I mean. Um, I mean, we've talked about the the TikTok AI being so great, and the fact that you can do targeting based upon. All right, I've watched in the last seven days and fourteen days a video on, you know, uh, hair and makeup. Well, not that I would have, but maybe my wife has. Uh, or maybe <laughs> <laughs> anyway, definitely hair for you though, not for me. Um, but yeah, so like. Facebook probably has, it, they didn't come right out and say this, and the AI knows what you're watching. Okay. It's like, it's a, you know, it's not like they're so far behind from a tech perspective as a TikTok and a, and a Google. So my answer to your question is yes, they would be able to identify that. That's why the 50% mark uh, comes out here as right. sort of a big statement, a big, bold statement when they're looking back onto 
you know, doing an analysis of best performing ad accounts that are hitting KPIs. You know, if you see uh, creator type content and recommending 50%, that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. So at the very least, put it on your radar and it front and center is on my radar as an agency owner. You know, what bugs the daylights out of me, dude, to no end. Um, this is something of a philosophical departure. So stop me if you think this isn't relevant. Coming up with the creative is one of the hardest parts. The way that both Google and Facebook now, but the way that AI marketing is structured, you generate the creative. You give it to Facebook. Facebook tests it within its ecosystem. And now Facebook actually has the ability to recreate your creative, but in a white label way. So if you think that all the way through, you came up with what works. Facebook benchmarked that against your industry, avatar, product, service, whatever, and now is equipped to go sell your competitors <laughs> that intelligence. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, this yeah. is the first time we've ever had to deal with this in the history of advertising. Yeah. Like, hey, everybody, like we looked at all what all your competitors, you and your competitors are doing and you especially. And we're going to tell your competitors this is what's working in your ad account. Not just tell them we're going to create an ad form that looks just like your ad. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, these are all the things that actually hit inside of that ad. We'll just use our AI deep fakes and we'll create them the same thing that you actually had to spend like real time and creativity coming up with. Yeah. It's unreal. And we're all just going to buy right into it. There's no, I mean, there's no other choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're just, you know, we're on splash mountain and we're just going to go down this damn thing and, and we're all going to get wet. It is what it is what it is. I don't know why that was my analogy, by the way, but it's still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that is it. I mean, that's what digital advertising and digital marketing has become. It's like there, there is no, I mean, sharing that type of information to other advertisers on the platform, like you're on their platform at the end of the day. Like, yeah, you're the one who created that ad with that creator that shows that, Oh my God, look at the CPAs on that. And we're just going to scale the hell out of it because it's a high performing ad and they pass that information back onto your competitor. Well, you're on their platform. <laughs> so the problem, here's my argument with that is their interests aren't, and I've said this all the time about Google, and I know it's true about Facebook too. Their interest isn't in, in creating an organic ecosystem that allows for a hierarchical distribution of merit, right? Like a true hierarchy. What they want is they want to maximize the value of their own inventory. So they're going to spread, they're going to gerrymander and price fix. As a matter of fact, Ralph, you couldn't convince me they're not doing this because it would be impossible not to build it this way. You'd actually have to code in this not working this way. And there's no way this, you know, these trillion dollar brands have done that. So we're all going to get backed into a corner and we're all going to make one penny more than we need to make in order to, you know, keep us advertising. But it doesn't allow for winners, which is the point of advertising. Instead, it just allows like all of us are just going to get stuck suckling at the power teat. And they're going to become the most profitable. It, what we would need is we'd actually need a true, authentic auction. Because right now with Facebook and Google both, what we have is a system where the auctioneer, first of all, is the one that profits, which isn't the way an auction should work. The auctioneer should be impartial. The auctioneer profits. The auctioneer knows everybody that's bidding, knows everything they're bidding for, knows what they're, they make, and knows what they're willing to pay. How could you not price fix? 
And now the auctioneer is creating the creative, you know what I mean? Like basically putting us all, just backing us all into a position in the same position. It's like we're pigs being led to slaughter. And man, I'm, I'm a libertarian that hates other libertarians. So the fact that I'm about to say these words, I think is just shows just how, you know, upset I am. It, it's almost something that needs to be regulated. We're dealing with a, with a true duopoly. And when you look at their ability to manage our spend and output, on an on an algorithmic level using AI, like and again, I can't believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. But you, it's almost like the government needs to step in and say, "Hey, y'all, you can't do this. This is, you know, this is vile. Like this is cheating. You're cheating. This isn't this isn't an organic ecosystem." I don't know. Well, at the end of the day, I think does it lead to better performance for the average advertiser if that's the goal of Meta? In the short term, maybe, sure. but in the long term, it actually flattens out because everybody's every subsequent equal. Ad- right. Exactly right. Everybody's equal. And we've, we've seen that play. This is a little bit too political, but we've seen that play out poorly too. You know what I mean? Like, um, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to put us in a position to where they're doling out just enough to keep you coming back, to keep you satiated, but not enough so that you can win. And that's bad for everybody because you actually, you need to lose sometimes. You know what I mean? Like the world needs losers and sometimes we need to be the losers. So we need, so we know when to stop and go pursue something else. True. So they're creating artificial winners or second place holders. And then they're holding the people that should be winning down and they're, they're flattening, they're flattening the competitive landscape. And man, God, I just think it's, I just think it's so dangerous. And, and again, we're just leaning all the way into it. Um, but man, AI AI marketing scares me in, in that way for that reason. I think it's the direction we're headed. I mean, I just think that's that's. Well, you know what's yeah. sad, dude? It's good for us. It's good for agencies. For sure, it keeps more customers around. Like it actually keeps the market fertile for us. It sucks for the small business owner, though. And it, it speaks to if you can't scale your ads, if you have fulfillment issues, pipeline issues, supplier issues, whatever, you almost want to. You almost don't want to feed Meta and Google, because all that's going to happen is you're going to go show them what works for your competitors that can scale their ads. So you need to step into the ring knowing that when you find what works, you got to scale up because if you and don't, they're going to go sell that data and that, and that know-how and that, you know, that, that creative logic, they're going to go sell it to your closest competitor. And then move on to the next thing and constantly right. be innovating. Like it's almost like you have to, as an advertiser, you have to stay ahead of the curve constantly because if you're relying on what worked just a year ago, well, chances are your competition probably already knows about it. And in the world of AI, <laughs> It, they're going to know about it even faster because they're going to be fed back the stuff that works to you, especially in an AI-driven, creative-generating world. Like it's Google, not, they're, Google's they're already know, doing it. And they're not even going to know they know. You know what I mean? Right. Like They're going to have these assets and they don't know where they came from or how they were split-tested or generated. It's, it's going to be, yeah, we're going to be running the same assets alongside our competitors and nobody's going to be, uh, the world's going to be none the wiser. Yeah, you really nailed that when you said they want everybody to be equal. That is exactly what's happening here. It's like it's like a, a, an egalitarian system for the distribution of marketing. It's unreal that we're here. I just can't. And of course, it's so funny too. I'm just such an idiot because this is exactly like this is. If if I had thought this through, this is exactly where we were headed. And it was a clear line of sight. And it just, I'm just too stupid to have seen it. Well, uh, you know, you saw it. It's our reality yeah, well, now. I don't think there's anything we can late. really do about it, but it, you know, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I just think that it means that you have to be even more innovative than ever. 
Hey guys, it's Kasim here, and I'm so sorry to be the doom and gloom guy, but I'm hoping this acts as a bit of a wake-up call for you. We've been talking a lot about how the iOS thing has advertisers flying blind, sprinkling in the rising cost of ads and supply chain issues. I think we have a real entrepreneurial challenge ahead of us. And the bad news is, a lot of businesses are going to be washed away over the coming months. The good news is that the ones who adapt are going to come out even stronger. That's why it's important to focus on the things that you can control. Tighten up your website, improve your CRO, collect as much first-party data as you can, and test, test, and do more testing. And if you need help with that, go to our friends at Conversion Fanatics. They're running hundreds of tests in all sorts of industries, so they know what's working now. Check the show notes for the link, or you can visit them at conversionfanatics.com. Which is hopefully I didn't mean to derail this, man. What? Let's we'll move on to bullet point number three, and then Hector can edit out as much of that as he thinks is is not worthy of people's listening. It could be an episode unto itself. So creators are obviously an important part to this whole thing. The third thing that uh, Meta really reiterated is creative diversification, and this is basically test lots of new ads. So it, it, the, one of the big pushes were reels, videos, which I think we've talked about these uh, quite a bit here on the show. The idea behind a creative concept, you have to have different messaging and different types of storytelling. And as long as you are diversifying your front-end messaging, you typically will get 32% more lift, meaning that, all right, I've got you know one creator ad, then I have a testimonial video, then I have an image ad, and then I have uh, a demo video of how the thing works. Like those are all four different concepts. So the idea of creative diversification is don't just do the demo video, do different types of things. And four is sort of the, the sweet spot. We definitely do see this inside tier 11. And that's where you start to get into, you know, drops and conversions. And it, it, the interesting thing is, and I haven't heard this because we always sort of talk about exposures, right? Like it takes 500 touch points in order to, Finally, lay a conversion. Uh, I know that's a Google statistic. The old adage is it takes seven touch points to to get somebody to buy. Well, somewhere in between there is probably the right number. I don't know if it's 500. I don't know if it's seven. But I know the more the better. But the twist on this is that if you're showing them the same damn thing over and over again, you actually decrease your conversion. So they went through a study where after four exposures to the same ad, there's actually a 60% drop in conversions. I buy that. That makes perfect sense. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. But we're programmed to have more, more, more. And, uh, you know, immediately I went into our ad account and I looked at anything with a reach of more than four and I just shut the damn thing off. So I was like, damn, you know, that's just not working. I'm wasting money doing it. And you should probably do the same thing. So if you're seeing uh, a lot of exposures in the same creative, this isn't like four different creatives being seen four times. This is one creative being seen four times. Your conversions drop well over half. So conversion fatigue and this idea of creative diversification was a big point here. Um, And it's not just about hitting them on the same ad over and over again. It's about diversifying that message and showing it in different ways, at least two different ways in which to show the same message. And then uh, mixing that in with, once again, back to the creator thing, embracing lo-fi, embracing, 
you know, low production value, TikTok style, if you want to even say it, type of video formats on, on Facebook, vertical video, all of that. And when you do use more than one creative type, this is actually an interesting little stat. Uh, their studies show that CPAs are lowered by 23%. That's just by getting more than one creative. So if you have two creatives instead of just one, you're at least on the right track here, but the more, the better. And if you hit the same audience with the same ad over and over again, up to four times, all of a sudden you start to see this really large drop in conversion. So once again, not a breakthrough here, but I think these are basic concepts that we tend to forget as marketers, Kasim. And I think you know that's why conferences like this are, are really relevant. You got to bring people back to the basics all the time, myself included, my staff included. But it, you know, the, the, the permeation makes sense to me because if you bore people, it's over. You, you can advertise to a point to where people are repelled by your brand. I, you know, I, I feel that way with Geico. I, I'm actually, I'm kind of pissy with them. You know what I mean? I'm sort of sick of, of I'm sick, sick of, of seeing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The big and, insurance and, companies are notorious for this, but right. if you do notice like progressive has flow, progressive has, you know, the. It, it, the uh who is it the the, the weird guy. mustachioed guy yeah, who like you're acting explored. like your parents <laughs> yeah but so those are funny i love flow and that's yeah. what's funny is like they've diversified enough to where i don't actually have the same negative opinion of progressive as i do of geico geico is like they reached critical mass for me where i was like all right i don't know you guys are there i'll call you if i need insurance and then they then then they jumped the shark and it was like dude shut up like let me get back to my football game i do not care you you've you've told me because, so, but listen to what you're saying. Like we both like progressive because we think the commercials are entertaining and, you know, flow and the team. And there's always something different. They're always coming. And I, as an ad guy, like I was, I taped the Patriots game yesterday. And as an ad guy, it's like, well, I could fast forward through the ads. I ended up watching all the ads. Like, that's how crazy, like, cause I enjoy it. Like well, I run an ad agency. Why wouldn't I? But, you know, there was a couple of new progressive ads of like, oh, that's really actually pretty cool. I don't remember what they are. But the point is, is like you're turned off by Geico because it's the same damn ads. You've probably seen them more than four times. And there's a 60 percent drop in conversions for Cosm ever using Geico. Right. And dude, it's the same. It's been the same ads for 20 years. I like know. they've changed nothing. The damn gecko. <laughs> Sick of the gecko. Come on, guys. Move on to something else. Anyway, start a movement. Hashtag kill the gecko. Kill the gecko. All right. So number four was, surprise, surprise, conversion API quality check. And this is the idea that, yes, Facebook is still advocating uh, using the conversions API, Cappy integration. We've done a number of episodes on this. We'll leave some links in the show notes for the two that we did with the solutions engineering group inside Meta. But reiterating once again, having both the conversions API and the pixel firing at the same time so they can capture more events. There was always, remember when this first came out, Cosmo, there was like this idea of deduping. If you had the pixel going and you had the Cappy integration, uh, you know, you're going to get deduped, which is in essence, you're double counting your conversions. That is not the case. Um, we have not seen that to be true. We have implemented Cappy, I think, on every single customer. If I'm not mistaken, there might be some outliers there just because of a custom site. But this is absolutely critical. Let's not forget, like, iOS is still 
still there. iOS, whatever is 15 point, whichever it is right now, they are still, you're losing visibility on your Apple devices. So going back to basics here, and I, I know there was a huge shakeout last year, is that Conversions API plus the Metapixel and enhancing your EMQ, uh, which is your event match quality, uh, which you can actually see inside your tracking, it doesn't necessarily equate, in our experience, like the higher your EMQ score doesn't necessarily equate to better results, but it does assist. It is absolutely a good sign that shows that, yeah, Facebook is capturing as much data as it possibly can, feeding it back to the algorithm, maybe, you know, modeling some of that feedback, you know, in a way or so. We don't know exactly how much. And we are seeing that this combination is working out quite well. It doesn't mean that you're not going into your back end and making sure that the conversions are coming in. And you may or may not use a third-party attribution software or Google Analytics just to triangulate all three together and making sure that what you're seeing inside Facebook is real. But at the end of the day, Conversions API and the Metapixel have certainly solved, to a certain degree, a lot of those tracking and visibility issues that we experienced all as Facebook advertisers just a year ago. How many Facebook advertisers do you think are actually doing that? Is it like 10%, 50%? I would say probably if, if it's 25%, I think it's a lot. Dude, I think yeah, I, I thought you were going to say like 10 to 20%. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Yeah. And here's why I'm saying that. Because if you're spending a tax-relevant sum of money on Facebook, know that most people aren't going to follow this instruction. And so this one little teeny tiny thing, even though it's a pain, right? It's just such so annoying. But doing this is such an easy button to getting out ahead. Yeah. Sure. Like you have to do it. And yeah. if you don't have it, well, like what's the downside of not doing it? Just just do it. Especially if you're if you have a Shopify store. It's like you literally It's easy. I don't know. It's like five clicks or something like that. <laughs> you know, does it break all the time? You know, I haven't played with it nearly as much as you have, but there's always it's always disconnecting. I don't even think it's Facebook's fault. I think yeah. it's Shopify's fault. Yeah, you do have to check. Like, yeah, you, know, you have to go into your events manager uh, on a regular basis and just do a little maintenance, like like weeding the garden, so to speak, making sure that all your attribution is actually happening. Because when we go in and do our strategic growth plans, which involves a pretty deep audit. Like that's one of the things that we always find. We always sort of find something wrong in events manager, I would say 50% of the time. So if you're not seeing the tracking that you think that you should be seeing inside ads manager, head on over to events manager. It's just a couple of clicks away and either have your dev person figure it out or just hire somebody on Fiverr to get it done. Uh, it's just, it's, it's sort of table stakes at this point. Awesome. I, I just think that, you know, if you're not doing it, you're just missing out. Why wouldn't you do it? That kind of thing. Unless you've got a, a super custom site and it's highly complex. Uh, even in those cases, it's it's worth it to invest in the developer in order to get it done. Dude, I won't I won't take those clients anymore. I don't know about y'all, but if somebody's tech stack is so convoluted that we can't properly track conversions, we just don't take them. Because you can explain that on the front end. And, you know, maybe they'll agree, but then on the back end, when you start advertising, you still get yelled at. So, you know, again, for our listeners, like go simplify your tech stack, go use something off the shelf. There's nothing you have that's so custom that you need that great, big, ugly, whatever. I don't care what your CTO says, like <laughs> go get something that's trackable because, you know, you need, <laughs> you need to be able to market it. It's hard. I mean, if you've got a custom site and we're saying here, just uh, migrate over to Shopify plus. 
Well, and you're e-commerce and you've got a custom-built site. I mean, that's a huge integration. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, dude, I haven't seen a single feature. Like, I've got a client who has a custom baseball glove mitt builder built into Shopify. I haven't seen a single feature that Shopify can't pull off. At this point, like two, three, four years ago, there's a bunch of stuff where it's like, oh, gosh, you got to build that custom. But now, you know, like j- just anything you can think of, there's a there's a Shopify plugin or a widget for that. So it just it doesn't make any sense to go and try to build and then support your own thing. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail for this one. But as the marketer, I, I can just tell you that it's, it's so hard trying to deal with it. Because when people build things custom, their engineers building it for the engineering team. They're not, they're not building it for the marketing team. They don't even think about marketing until after the fact. And so, you know, tracking is effectively non-existent. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's a big shift for if you do have one of those sites, but if you're starting right now, just start yeah. simple. <laughs> you know, you have to, dude, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a real curmudgeon on this episode. I don't know what happened to me today. I don't know. I don't you know like what side of the bed I woke okay? up on. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Did you not get your, uh, your smoothie this morning or what? But that must be it. Yeah, Cause it's, I, I it's didn't even realize this, so right now I'm just like, yeah, I just sound like, like Clint Eastwood in one of his recent movies. You know, I need to, your yeah, conspiracy theory, you and everybody. Today. Yeah, you're you're <laughs> you're crazy conspiracy guy today. No, no, it's good. That's probably what happened. I put myself in a bad mood because I started thinking about that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, conversions API is not a conspiracy theory. Definitely get it done. Uh, check out Cappy Gateway as well, and go back and listen to uh, our previous episodes. So we are on number four here, the last one, and this is one I think we need to work on. I'm just gonna come right out and say it, is business results validation. And this is an interesting little stat here. Keep in mind, all these stats are coming from Meta. So do with it what you want. But the point is, is this at least should be a benchmark for you. Is it overstated? Is it understated? I don't know. I mean, all I know is this, is that they've done studies on this. They're presenting this data to hundreds of marketers who are have the meter on very high uh, when they're at these conferences. So take it for what it's worth. According to Facebook, over-reliance on last-click attribution is undervaluing the influence of the meta platforms by an average of 47%. So if all you're looking at is last-click, which is what, what a lot of folks do, which is also what most people do. It's what Google Analytics defaults to. It's actually, it's what most tracking mechanisms default to. If you're tracking in HubSpot or Shopify, they're all looking at last click. Is that you do need, and this is what they recommend. I, I recommend third-party data solutions like we talked about in number four, which is triangulate your results, get the full picture. I don't know if we're necessarily, you know, a huge believer in marketing efficiency ratio, like it was all the rage a year ago. The point is, is like you have to triangulate your data, check all your balances here, check the platform itself, check your third party data source, check your CRM, make sure that everything is, is working in the right way. You're still going to have some lack of visibility no matter what you do here. But the point is, is if you're overly relying on all your other platforms for last click, chances are it's probably undervaluing the meta platforms, which Facebook knows about this. And we see this all the time. And, you know, whether it's Wicked Reports or whether it's North Beam or whether it's Hyros or anything that you see, you will see some of this come through in that sort of data is that there's lots of clicks and interactions on the Facebook ads before they last click on the Google search ad. 
that's sort of their point. And to remedy that, I don't think there's any perfect solution here, but Facebook does do this and they constantly are being uh, presented this and sort of as a solution in many cases is to do a conversion API lift study. If you're a Facebook advertising and you haven't done a conversion lift study, I would recommend that you do do one. Do they always show you the, the best view of how things are being attributed? Not necessarily. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But at the very least, it's a tool. If you have some kind of question or you have a customer and you're an agency, a question as to whether or not you're, you're affecting results as their Facebook and Instagram advertiser, I would definitely run a Lyft study. Uh, and we've done it in the past and with mixed results at times. But I think it does underscore the fact that, yes, if you're measuring everything in a last click world, Facebook and Instagram and the meta platforms tend to be undervalued as a result of it. Is it 47%? Is it some percentage in between there? I'm not really sure. But we do know that uh, if you're overall relying on last click to figure out like where to spend your marketing dollars, you might be misallocating some of your funds. I've got a case study on that. Um... So the first thing I'll say is, you know, I, I have no love for Facebook or Meta, and it would be in my best interest to negate that data point, but I've seen it so many times, it's not funny, and it makes sense. Facebook's top of the funnel. So Facebook's not going to be last click, it's going to be first click or, you know, uh, somewhere in between. <laughs> first touch. Yeah, or it's going to assist, you know, it's an assisted conversion, it's helping with the remarketing, or it's helping drag people from the top of the funnel down to the bottom of the funnel. We had a client come on who they thought they had, I forgot the exact numbers. I might have John on to do this case study, but I think it was a 1600% ROAS if memory serves, which is great. So we have a client come on, they're running Google ads. They're like, all right, take over our Google ads account, but we have a 1600% ROAS. So you just got to maintain that as we scale and we'll be happy. And John gets into the account and he goes, you don't have a 1600% ROAS. You have a 400% ROAS. And, and Facebook is doing all of your lifting. And then he showed them using third-party attribution tools how Facebook was generating all of this traffic and Google was just closing it, but because they weren't tracking it properly and Facebook only has what seven day view or something. Um, they weren't able to see that. And they view, were about to turn click. their Facebook off. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. One day view, seven day click. One day view, seven day click. So they're, they were, you know, they'd run this test and they're like, Oh yeah, Facebook's not performing. Google's crushing at 1600%. So they're about to kill the golden goose and you know, over and what's really funny too is is given how long the timeline would have been before they ran out of ramp, I don't even think they would have realized what happened. They'd have killed Facebook, run Google, and then they would have just thought that you know Google somehow petered out when really it was it was Facebook that was feeding Google over time. Yeah, we should we should do that. We actually um, um, have two case studies on attribution where similar circumstances, but I think coming from your side of the equation would be really instructive i think for the listeners here yeah, because yeah. It, it's real we've got a very real red versus blue thing and so when i can make your point for you i think it's more <laughs> cogent <laughs> that's what i was basically saying yeah if you could come on and state my case that would be tremendously helpful for me <laughs> appreciate that buddy uh but at the very least this is the sort of the company line from from meta if you've never done a conversion api lift study then definitely do one especially if you're an agency it, if you've never tried to do one you should at least do one and you can do them on your own. You can also do them assisted through your uh, either partner manager in our case or through your account manager. The sixth point, which is a bonus, which wasn't part of 
the actual uh, the agenda here at the Meta Performance Marketing Summit. It is not part of the Performance Five goals and the Performance Five scorecard. You, you, you count just like Facebook and Google. <laughs> I do. I do. I always want to get a little extra here. Custom uh, is, and they talked about this sort of at the tail end of it, the importance of in-platform conversions. But at the very least, there was a very big emphasis on after the click and the ability of the quickness of your mobile site loading, like all those things that if you're a marketer, you probably know some of these stats, 53% of mobile traffic leaves. If your site takes longer than three seconds to load, like all those old chestnuts, which we all say, yeah, we know mobile is really, really important. Well, Facebook and Meta uh, was a there was a big emphasis on look at your after the click experience, which we have certainly found to be a force multiplier when it comes to performance. It's fifty percent of the effectiveness of your ads. It's the reason why we have an entire division around this. At the very least, you can go to some of the sponsors of Perpetual Traffic who do after the click stuff for us. At, at the very least, do not just keep sending to the same landing page, the same homepage test something for just for god's sake <laughs> and facebook was sort of like well you can either do that or you can use all our in-app stuff like facebook shopping instagram uh as well which is sort of the next evolution we can probably do an entire uh show just on that unto itself but the point is is look at your after the click and analyze it because it's really going to give a signal back to your ads and I think people forget this sometimes. They think it's all their ads. It's all, oh, I just need Facebook ads. I just need better ads. Well, you need better ads, but you also need a better offer, a better after-the-click experience. And I think that unto itself is a very smart strategy. And the fact that they actually sort of created a caveat to the Performance 5 that included after-the-click in this conference, I think, spoke volumes. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, Facebook used to be so easy because the targeting was so granular and the traffic was so cheap. And we all just got spoiled. So you, you didn't need a great after-the-click experience, right? As long as it was better than mediocre and your offer was medium compelling, you could just afford to, you know, bludgeon that page with traffic and, and something would land. That luxury is gone. You, have to, you actually have to be judicious with the traffic that you're getting. Yeah, it's not all about the platform. Um, I mean, the advertising is the thing that brings in the traffic. In this particular case, obviously, you know, your business may vary. Maybe you've got a good amount of SEO here, and you know, maybe on some of those pages, you should be optimizing for whatever that keyword is that's driving a lot of your business. The point is, if you're running traffic, you should always be looking at after the click, and we just see it's something that's just gets so lost in the mix because you want to focus on one thing, the most obvious thing, which is typically the traffic and the front facing ads. When in fact, it's the combination of the two with your offer, what it is that you're offering to the world being the central part of that. You can have the crappiest ads in the world and even crappy landing pages. If your offer is great, you're still going to convert and you know, whether or not you can convert within your KPI sort of remains to be seen. Dude, that's so interesting to me. I kind of like seeing how scrappy they're being. You know, like you said, everybody kind of countered them out and then you see them just coming back swinging hard. And that's good for us because you don't want to only have to rely on, on one ad network. So first of all, Ralph, I appreciate you sharing all that with us because I know some of that is a little bit of a secret sauce, but it's cool. It's cool to be able to see somebody who can go to 
the mothership and then report back. And I also think it's cool to see just how scrappy Meta is getting, um, which is good for all of us because, you know, it's already a, a monopolistic environment and um, the more competition, the better. And it sounds like they're getting pretty competitive. So uh, if you're listening, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you happen to be listening. And we want to be the number one marketing podcast on the planet. So let us know what we can do better. You can go to perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better to fill out our anonymous survey. Make sure to follow both Ralph and I on Twitter. He's at Ralph HB. I'm at Qasem Aslam. Uh, go back and listen to previous episodes. All the resources that we discussed today are going to be in the show notes at perpetualtraffic.com. And uh, on behalf of my co-host and myself, peace. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 